0: أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد أشرف المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد يحيي ويميت وهو على كل شيء قدير وأشهد أن سيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم وشرف وكرم ومجد وعظم ورضي الله عن أهل بيته طيبنا الطاهرين and welcome to another episode of our live uh, talks podcasts uh, throughout this month of Ramadan. And subhanAllah, it's already one week into Ramadan, and already I'm sure a lot of us have this feeling that the time is just flying. Six days have passed, we entering the seventh day of Ramadan, a quarter of the month is gone. And I think back to the times in this past week where I've wasted time. There are things that we've done, we've increased our ibadah, and there are still moments where you still feel like I could have done more, or I was wasting time here, or I was wasting time there. And this is the case every single year with Ramadan. And of course, this year Ramadan is different for many reasons, but still, it follows the same pattern. And we see this pattern year after year. And subhanAllah, it's from the wisdoms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Ramadan is a month. See Allah could have made Ramadan two months or three months. Or he could have made a shorter ten days or two weeks. But instead he chose a month for a specific reason. And of course there are many wisdoms to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if we try to think about this, if we try to think about our own efforts throughout Ramadan, how we start off with a bit of a surge, we're excited to enter into Ramadan, we're attending our taraweeh or at this time we're praying at home, we're reciting our Quran, we're increasing in our ibadah. And then generally for most people towards the middle of Ramadan, you have a bit of a dip as you start to get comfortable, you get used to it, you get a bit tired. And then in the last 10 nights, our energy increases again, especially with the with the promise of Laylatul Qadr within these last 10 nights. And so we see this pattern for most people throughout every single year in Ramadan. And you think what if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had made Ramadan to be two months or three months? We already feel ourselves tiring when we increase in our ibadah at Ramadan. Imagine if we had to do this for an extra month or an extra two months. We would tire out for most people and Ramadan would lose the the, the barakah or, or the feeling within it, the excitement within it that pushes us to increase in our ibadah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has increased, He hasn't made it ten days or two weeks, rather He's made it a month for us to be able to maximize the hasanat, the rewards that we get within this month. And the reason I mention this is because in Ramadan we see what we do as Muslims is that we put up with hardship. We put up with lack of food, with lack of water, our hunger and our thirst throughout the day. Imam Ghazali says that the greatest desire that man has is the desire of his stomach, his hunger, his food. Following that is a sexual desire. But he says the greatest desire is a desire for food. And we give that up from sunrise to sunset. Whether here in Australia Alhamdulillah it's only 12 hours, around the world 20 hours, 21 hours, some people fast and we do it without Christians <inaudible> You ask us, oh Allah, to give up our greatest desire and we do it without asking. So we go the day without eating, without drinking. We spend the night standing up and praying in Taraweeh. We spend the day reciting the Qur'an for hours. We do our adhkar, we do our du'a. We avoid sin. We spend more time conscious of our state of our relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. We we're exerting more energy to be conscious of our every single action to avoid haram and to constantly make tawbah to make forgive to ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala for forgiveness. And so we go through this physical and psychological hardship. If you asked anyone, random person, would you give up eating for half the day, and would you give up, or would you stand for, throughout the night? And in the last ten nights, would you stand up all throughout the night? For what? See, most people would not want to do this. Physically, it makes no sense, but we do this because we sacrifice, because we understand the reward that comes from it. A similar example is Hajj. See, if you look at Hajj as a physical activity, you look at what Hajj is. May Allah make us all of those who have the ability to visit his home and to perform the Hajj, to visit his house and to perform the Hajj and to have our sins forgiven. When you think about what Hajj is, right? if you describe it purely from a physical sense, you're traveling halfway around the world, most likely with a group of 30 50 100 200 people in a group who you've never met before and traveling alone is hard enough let alone traveling with strangers nobody wants to be traveling with strangers you're sharing plane with them you're sharing hotels with them you're sharing rooms with them you're sharing bathrooms and diners and buses and taxis with them for two weeks people you've never met before throughout that period you're eating food that you've probably never eaten before most people get sick at hajj okay you wear the same clothes for four or five days if not more and throughout those four or five days you're not allowed to use perfume throughout that period you're in 40, 45, 50 degree heat so you're sweating the showers and the bathrooms if, ever, if anyone's been to Minna I don't have to describe to you what you're putting up with there people are sweating, they don't smell nice you're sleeping in a tent in Minna or on a floor in Muzdalifa, out in the open you're in the middle of 2.5 million people, so people are pushing and shoving and they're sweating and they're arguing and they're bickering and people don't smell nice and people don't speak nice and it's just physically it doesn't sound nice. So if you came back and you're speaking to someone who's not a Muslim and they asked ask you to describe your trip and you described it in that way, they'd be shocked. Like, what are you thinking? Did you, you knew that you were getting into that, so what are you thinking going to this place? And yet, ask any person that's been to Hajj and they want to go back. Why? Because we understand that this hardship is temporary. Ramadan is one month, but I'm willing to put up with the hardship and the last 10 nights especially because I know the immense reward. Hajj is hard physically and psychologically, yes, but I'm willing to put up with that hardship. Why? Because the reward is promised from Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And throughout this process, especially at Hajj, we try to disconnect from the matters of the dunya. Right. So when you're at Hajj, you're halfway across the world. When you're at Hajj, you're not busy with your business, with your work, with your money. You're not hanging around with your friends, you're not hanging around with your family, spending time connecting with people. When you're you're spending time around people in company, you end up having problems and you have to solve other people's problems, All problems of the dunya. None of that is an issue during Hajj, or for the most part it's not an issue during Hajj. And in Ramadan as well to a lesser extent, even though we're still working, we're mixing with family and friends, we have more focus on Allah and the religion. Now, why do I mention all of this? My topic today isn't about Ramadan, it's not about Hajj. But the reason that I mention this is because ask anyone coming out of Ramadan after a month full of hardship, despite, sorry, after a month full of worship, despite whatever physical hardship that they've gone through, ask them if it was worth it, they'll say yes. Ask anyone who's been to Hajj, was it worth it? They'll say yes without a doubt. They'll say that they'll do it again and they wish that Ramadan could stay or that they wish that they could go to Hajj again. And the reason that I bring this up is because today's topic of this talk, if I could summarize it in one word, it's about happiness. You see, as humans, we have desires, whether it's food, whether it's company, whether it's sexual desires, whether it's, you just want to be around people who who you enjoy their company, you know, we have these desires that we want to fulfill. And when we fulfill these desires innately, we feel happiness. We do things that make us happy. So we feel happy, right? Now, within our society we're told that this happiness is our purpose we fed a lot of lies in our society we, you'd sit down all day listing all of them okay but one of the biggest lies that we fed is to do what makes you happy you're told chase happiness do what makes you happy so if you don't know what job you want to get into you know if you enjoy video games go get a job as a software developer or some video game developer if you enjoy spending time around animals go become a vet if you enjoy spending time around kids go become a primary school teacher whatever it is when you're feeling a bit bored, you're told to go spend time with your friends, to go out and have a day out, to go play some games. You're told to, you know, and then within society, you have alcohol and you have smoking and, gam- and gambling because it triggers that little bit of happiness, but alcohol and smoking and drugs because they give you that momentary happiness. Why are all of the, these things so popular? Because you're told to chase happiness, do what makes you happy. Now, all of these things are fine and within, and in, with the ones that are halal, of course, are fine with, in, and, in and of themselves. Spending time with your family and friends is fine. Going on a holiday is fine. Eating and fulfilling your desires is halal, it's fine. But the problem is when you make that your purpose. Why? Because as humans, we can never achieve true happiness. Ask yourself this, what is it that makes you happy? What is it that makes you personally happy? I'll use myself as as an example. If I was to pick one thing right now, I'd say food makes me happy, okay? If I could go out right now, I'm feeling a little bit hungry, and I put a pizza in front of me, a nice meat lovers with extra cheese, and I had a bite of the pizza. You'd see me with a big smile on my face as the cheese was stringing off the piece of pizza, okay? I would be happy in that moment. You'd probably struggle to find me in a happier moment than that, okay? But come back to me two or three hours later and you'll find me hungry again and I'm looking for something else to eat. Because that happiness, it was, I hit a peak, but it didn't last. Whether you enjoy spending time around people, you enjoy company you want to be with your friends and your family so on a saturday night you'll have your family over or you have your friends over and you've got the sweets out and you've got the tea out and you spend the night talking and you're playing games and you spend a few hours the night has to come to an end at some point and everyone goes home two or three days later you're going to be bored again and you're going to be going up the same friends and you're going to be saying i'm bored let's hang out why because the happiness didn't last you go on a holiday straight away you're thinking of the next holiday You save up to buy something. I've got a friend who loves his cars and he saves up his whole life to buy a car that he's dreamt of since he was a child. And then within a week he's already thinking of his next car. Because he got that happiness, it triggered that happiness, it satisfied his desire. But that happiness did not last. And so you might ask, why do humans have this happiness that doesn't last? Why has Allah created created us this way? As Muslims, the answer is very simple. Because us humans were not created for this dunya very simple, we were not created for this dunya so we can't find happiness in this dunya humans were created for Jannah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created our father Adam and our mother Hawa' in Jannah and he placed them there and until the fruit was eaten we were, the abode of humans was in Jannah and so after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah He says, He said to them after that Go down, all of you, as enemies to one another. So, Adam and the shaitan who caused them to fall into that mistake. He said, Go down as enemies to one another, and you will have within the earth mustaqarru wa You will have mustaqar, a place of settlement. Somewhere, I, and see, it's, the word mustaqarr does not mean at home, it does not mean somewhere where you're sitting and you're living there forever. It's somewhere where you're settling. Wa and provision. Ilahin, so for a time, not forever, for a time. And so this was the command of Allah subhanahu wa taala to Adam salam, and to humankind for the rest of time. but when we heard but w- when we lived within this dunya for generation after generation we lost sight of the temporariness of this dunya we lost sight of the fact that we here Iilah just for a time and we live here like we're going to live here forever and this is where we have that struggle of trying to find the balance between two things said, work for this world as if you will live forever and work for the hereafter as if you will die tomorrow. So we work for this world, we work for this dunya, we try to build up a future for future generations. And this is part of the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where the way that Islam encourages the interaction between families, between societies, within the masajid, within the community, it encourages interaction between the older generation and the younger generation where the young learn from the wisdom of the old but then the old also see that there's a future generation who need provision provided for them for a long term so even though I may be old and I may be about to pass away I still work to build something I still live within the dunya as if I will live forever because my descendants will live here forever because my family will live here forever there's a hadith where Rasulullah said that even if the hour were within sight and you had a sapling, a seed within your hand Plant find a place to plant it. Because, first of all, there's an ajr in that, there's a reward in building something. But we still have to work for this dunya, we still have to build within this dunya. So, work for this world as if you will live forever. But he says, Ali ibn Abu Talib, he says, work for the akhirah as if you will die tomorrow. Because what do we have if we pass away today? Where will we be resurrected tomorrow? We will be resurrected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be accounted for all of our actions in this dunya so yes i work to build things for the future generations i work to build a stable community i work to build a legacy some people want to build but we don't neglect the akhirah we don't neglect our deen and we tie the two together so even though we want to satisfy our, de- our desires islam has come with rahma it's come with mercy it hasn't completely shut down our desires and said no you can't eat it hasn't come down and said no you can't engage in your sexual desires. It hasn't come down and said, no, you can't spend time with people. Islam has come and stated that these things are your desires and these things you should be fulfilling them, but within the limits that the Sharia places. The halal limits, why? Because these things have wisdom within them. Halal food and haram food, eat the halal, there's so much that's halal and avoid these few things that are haram because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within his wisdom knows that there is harm in them. And so it's up to us to follow this. And in doing so, Although we're engaging in our desires, we're working for the akhirah as if we we'll die tomorrow because we're avoiding the sins. And so I want to tie this to what the title of our talk is today. A hadith of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam where he says, كُنْ فِي الدُّنْيَا كَأَنَّكَ غَرِيبٌ أَوْ عابر سبيل. Be in this dunya as if you were a stranger or a traveler along the path. As if you were a stranger. Now we'll tie this towards an example of traveling in a moment, we'll to Hajj. But in order to understand this concept of happiness, we live in this dunya. We know that our father Adam was created in Jannah and he was living in Jannah before being sent down to earth. And after this, for the ones who follow the commands by Allah Subhanahu Taala, our abode is Jannah. Where Allah says in Surah Al-Kahf, وَيُبَشِّرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ الَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ الصَّالِحَاتِ أَنَّ لَهُمْ أَجَرًا حَسَنًا Where he says that the Quran was sent down to give glad tidings to the believers, the ones who do righteous deeds, that you will have what? You will have a good reward. أن لهم حسنا ما كثينا فيه أبدا. You will have a good reward in which they will remain forever. And forever doesn't just mean in terms of time you're going to be in the Akhirah forever, yes. But the happiness that we feel in this dunya that lasts for a short period of time and then goes away. In the Akhirah ما كثينا فيه أبدا. In Jannah you will have Ajran Hasanan Abadah. أَبَدًا You're going to have these good rewards lasting forever. And so this happiness which in the dunya lasts and then it goes away. And then it comes back then goes away. Then comes back and goes away. In the Akhirah, it lasts forever. And if you want to understand the magnitude of the rewards or of the... How small the dunya is compared to the Akhirah. Rasulullah said in a sahih hadith narrated in Musnad, uh, Musnad Ahmad. He said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Akhirah, we will get one of the most miserable people from the dunya. Not just someone, who, average person, one of the most miserable people. And he will say to the angels to dip this person once in Jannah. And after this done, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask this person, Did you ever face any distress? Did you ever face anything that you hated in the dunya? Remember, this is one of the most miserable people from the start of time to the end of time. The person will reply, No, Ya Allah, never did I face anything unpleasant. So after all of that life that they lived on this dunya, one dip in Jannah, all of the hardship is forgotten. And then one of the most affluent people, rich people, happy people, people that lived in the dunya and satisfied their desires will be brought from Jahannam. Or they will be brought and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will command the angels to dip this person into Jahannam. And they will, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask this person, did you ever enjoy any comfort in the dunya? One of the most affluent, one of the most richest from the start of time to the end of time. Did you ever face any comfort in the dunya? And the person will say no. So this is a comparison between the dunya and the akhira. One dip overwrites a whole lifetime of misery or a whole lifetime of comfort. Where the person themselves will forget it afterwards. And so Allah is just. There are two abodes, the dunya and the akhira. And the one who struggles in one of them will not be made to struggle in the other. The one who struggles in the dunya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not then repeat this person in the akhira, rather they'll be compensated for the hardship and the, and the sacrifices that they made. So this is what Rasulullah wa says, كُنْ dunya the dunya as if you're a traveller. Let's go back to the example of travelling. We spoke about Hajj, let's make it a bit broader than that, right? When you travel, we get on a plane. Those planes, year after year, they get tighter and tighter. As a tall person, my legs don't fit anymore. And so when you sit on this plane, you're uncomfortable hour after hour. I've been on 12, 13 hour flights, 16 hour flights. You're not comfortable. The food isn't the best. You can't sleep well. There's people all around. There's someone who's snoring. There's a baby who's crying. You go for a stopover six, seven hours in some airport in the world where you don't have anywhere to sleep. You don't know anyone there. You don't have anything to do for those hours. You try to sleep on a chair and you can't really deal with it. You go to eat, but you don't know what you can eat. And the process of traveling, getting from point A to point B, is so uncomfortable but how many people have you ever met who've gone on a trip who've gone on a holiday they've gone to Dubai for two months and then they come back ask them how was your holiday? no one's going to come and say oh the flight was really bad I was really uncomfortable they're going to come and they're going to talk about oh on this day I did this and then I went to Disneyland and then I was on the beach and then I had this hotel they're going to describe all of the things that they enjoyed they won't even describe the hardship that they endured for that 12, 13, 14 hour flight because that's nothing in that process they were a traveler and so they went through that process as a traveller they put up with the hardship and so that's how we should be as, as Muslims, as believers that in this dunya I'm a traveller so just as when I'm on a plane I put up with the tight space and I put up with the bad food I put up with the baby crying because I know I'm going to get to my holiday destination and I'm going to enjoy myself and just as in that case when I'm in the dunya I have hardship I have difficulties but I put up with that, why? because I know in the end the akhirah is the result Imagine someone who does the opposite. Someone decides, you know what, I want to go to Europe for a holiday. And they look at their budget. I've got a $15,000 budget. Let me decide what I'm going to do. Normally, what would you do? You'd pay your flights, which are about $1,000. You'd book your accommodation. And then with the rest of the money, you've got $12,000, $13,000 left over. You're going to spend it on food. You're going to spend it on activities. You're going to go out to places. You're going to go do things that you're going to enjoy. That's a smart way to spend your money. Now, what would you say to someone who told you, look, I've got a $15,000 budget and I want to go to Europe so what am I going to do I'm going to book a first- class flight from here to Europe that cost me fourteen thousand dollars or is it cost me fifteen thousand dollars and when I get there I've got no money so they had that luxury in the flight first class flight that flight they were spoiled the chair massages them they've got the air hosts that serve them individually but when they get to their destination I've got no money so now what are they going to enjoy their trip are they going to enjoy having no accommodation and sleeping in the street having no money for food and having to beg people something to eat having nothing to do while they're there for their month or two months until the return flight and so you don't, you're do not you not able to enjoy yourself so they spent all of their enjoyment on the traveling portion of the trip and no enjoyment on their destination or they haven't budgeted anything towards the destination and this is the example of someone who lives their life in this dunya with the luxuries and they try to enjoy this dunya as much as they can and they ignore the akhirah where, yes, alright, you had fun on your trip for the 12 hour, the 18 hour flight, but when you got there, what did you do for the one or two months? And so, yes, you enjoyed your dunya, but what's going to happen with that dip into Jahannam or vice versa? And so, Abdullah ibn Umar explained, similar to what Ali was saying, that, kun fi ka, ka sabil? Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala said that this means to live your day as if you will be buried in your grave by sunset. And the reason is simple, so you would say seek happiness, seek happiness, seek happiness. It's never going to happen. Seeking happiness in the dunya is not a reality that's possible for a human being. Humans were not created that way. We have temporary happiness that comes and goes. We were created for the akhirah, And so happiness, eternal happiness, true happiness can't be achieved except in Jannah. So what do we do? Does that mean that we'll be miserable for now? No. It means that in this period, we seek contentment. And where does contentment come from? It comes from understanding Islam and Dedicating yourself to the servitude of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We see the example, no greater example than, than the greatest of examples, Rasulullah. Where after he had just started receiving the revelation, the second surah that he received, Ya and he went home and he was scared and he was shivering. And he looked to his wife Khadijah and he said to her Khadijah Ya Khadijah. There is no rest after today, O oh Khadijah he understood after one or two surah had been revealed Rasulullah that he had been given a message he had been given a journey he had been set on a journey where the destination was Jannah so in this period I'm not going to rest in this period I'm like a traveler I'm like a wayfarer so what's the point of me resting right now when I have Jannah to work for what's the point of resting now when I have Jannah to work for so within the dunya you look at the Sahaba where they had the positions of the dunya there were sahaba who were rich they had everything they conquered persia and rome they had the gold of kusras they had the empires of rome but did that get into their hearts no they used that for the sake of islam so they achieved the dunya they didn't stop and say you know what the akhirah is all we have so i'm just going to worship allah in solitude for no they worked they worked to build an empire they worked to build the khilafah they worked to build justice for all of mankind and in doing so they achieved their contentment because they knew that the only happiness that they would achieve was in the akhirah. when we see what they sacrificed when you see when they gave up all of their wealth when you see the example of salman al-farsi عنه, who spent his life searching for the messenger of allah وسلم, until he was an old man and he was in medina as a slave and eventually he encountered the prophet and he accepted islam now years later he was sent back to persia after he had been conquered at the time of anhu. And he was sent back as the ruler, the emperor of Persia. And he had the possessions, he had the palace. The palace of the ruler of Persia was his. But he didn't sleep in there. He would sleep in a little hut on the side. And the people of Persia would look at him and laugh. They say, this man was sent in charge of us. And look at how he dresses, look at where he's living, look at where he's sleeping. When he was on his deathbed, he was visited by Abdul Rahman ibn Auf. And Abdul Rahman ibn Awf saw that Salman al-Farsi was crying in bed. And he said to him, why are you crying? If you pass away, you're going to be with Rasulullah You're going to be with Abu Bakr ta'ala, anhu. You're going to be with the Sahaba Why are you crying? He said, I'm not crying over losing the dunya He said, I'm crying because I'm worried that I've left too much in this dunya I haven't sacrificed enough in this dunya Abdul Rahman ibn Awf looked around the room and there were barely any positions And he knew what type of person Salman ibn Faris was Barely anything left but yet he was worried they had left behind too much and so our approach as Muslims should be that we put up with the struggle, we put up with the hardship. Too often we see people seeking the easier opinion, they seek ease in Islam, where yes Allah has made Islam easy for us if we follow it, that does not mean that we change Islam to become easy for us according to our own expectations. So you see people coming up with their own fatawa, you see people coming up with their own judgments. we see people taking things from outside of the deen to make Islam seem easier. When in reality, all that you're doing is not only changing the deen, but you're making your akhirah harder. And so the best of examples, or the best way to summarize this, is from the quote of Ibn Rajab, rahimahullah, who said that I fasted from the delights of the temporary world of the dunya, and I will break my fast in the hereafter. So yes, there are things that have been restricted to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We avoid them. Yes, Allah has commanded us to do certain things and we do them and they often come with hardships. And Ramadan is a small example of that but our lives should be dedicated to serving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Day and night. And so although we are sacrificing from the delights of the temporary world, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who break their fast in the hereafter. salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. qawli hadha wa